right, if you guys want to go ahead and uh, find a seat and get your Bibles. Take those Bibles out, open up to the Gospel of Luke. And uh, at Good Friday service uh, two days ago, we just simple Good Friday service read through Luke 22 and 23, the Last Supper of Jesus and his time of prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane, his betrayal and arrest, his trial and uh, his uh, scourging, the whipping of the Romans and the beating from the Romans upon him and, uh, and then his crucifixion there at Calvary. And today we're just going to kind of continue on in uh, Luke's narrative of the resurrection. It's important to know from Luke chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, that Luke, who was a physician, did as much in his uh, strength to bring about an orderly narrative, an orderly account, even, even with a perfect understanding of all things he said uh, from the very first. He had a perfect understanding of what had happened in the life and action of Jesus. And so he made point to bring an orderly account of all that Jesus said and did. Um, and, and that is something that's valuable for us today. So that even today when we read of something so crazy, the resurrection of someone from the dead, how did this come about? How did this happen? We have someone that just a well-respected member of the community who put together an orderly account of what happened. Um, you know, how did we get here today? How are we here in Prineville, a world away from Jerusalem? How are we here, you know, um, among, with thousands of others, even in our nation, millions of others around the world, celebrating a guy who died 2,000 years ago, um, but that we believe rose from the dead? Um, it's because he rose from the dead that we're here. Uh, it's because eyewitnesses saw him risen from the dead and then went out with great courage from the Holy Spirit to tell the farthest parts of the world this story, a mission that we have today as well, to keep getting out there and keep telling those far places in the world what happened. Such an incredible thing. Uh, I enjoy this uh, history podcast called Hardcore History. It's by Dan Carlin, and he did this like, five-hour series on the World War One, Just incredible. And he starts out this series with, if you were to pick, you know, one of the most important events in the last, you know, a thousand years or something that just changed the course of the world, uh, what would you pick, you know? And, and he kind of goes through a whole bunch of different thoughts that are out there. And his personal opinion is that it was the assassination of uh, Archduke Franz Ferdinand uh, in 1914 uh, because, and, and it is just a crazy story how this guy got assassinated. There was a, a mob of guys that were trying to assassinate him with grenades and stuff as he was uh, visiting a foreign nation and, and their plan went totally wrong. They didn't get a shot. They didn't get a chance to drop the grenade. Nothing was going right. And so one of these assassins, I wrote his name down because it's Gavrilo Princip, uh, was bummed out that the assassination plot didn't work. And so he went to like a back alley sandwich shop to kind of blow off some steam. And as he's blowing off some steam, 
Archduke Franz Ferdinand's convoy of cars is getting in traffic jams and doesn't know how to get out of the city. And so they go through this back alley to try to, you know, find their way back. And, and this Gabrielle is sitting there eating a sandwich. And right in front of the sandwich shop in a back alley, here comes the Archduke. And he saw his moments to accomplish their purpose. And he just goes out with a pistol and shoots the Archduke point blank, which leads to the First World War, the beginning of this trench warfare, the bringing out of the machine gun. Hundreds of thousands of uh, soldiers die in these trench warfares. And, uh, and then, as you know the story, World War I ends. Germany feels like they get the shaft in the... Uh, you know, in the agreement, in the peace agreement, which leads to Adolf Hitler uh, trying to bring some glory back to Germany, and which leads to World War II and the final solution and the extermination of six million Jews and so on and so forth. And so in Dan Carlin's opinion, you know, it's the assassination of Archduke Fran Ferdinand in that back alley by this sandwich shop that was one of the most important things that happened in human history. And, uh, and yet we would know that really one of the things that shook up the world the most in history is the coming on the scene of the son of God, Jesus Christ, born in a manger, born in a stable, born to die so that we might live, uh, put into some sort of mock trial after being betrayed by his own friend being crucified on that Roman implement of execution next to two thieves, having his grave made with the rich uh, in this uh, tomb of Joseph of Arimathea, but not staying dead. The son of God doesn't have some end in a cul-de-sac of a Palestinian tomb, but he rises from the dead just as he said he would. And that stirs the whole world to have faith in the one who brought their salvation by laying down his life and then claiming his life again. He has the power to take it up again as he rose from the dead. So what I want to do today is just kind of move through Luke's gospel chapter 24 and just let it speak to us the power of what Jesus accomplished and what it meant back then and what it means now for us. Now, if you'll with me, Go back to chapter 23, verse 50, kind of picks up towards the end of where we left off. Now behold, there was a man named Joseph, a council member, a good and just man. He had not consented to their decision indeed. He was from Arimathea, a city of the Jews, who himself was also waiting for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pontius Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Mark's gospel says that he took courage to go to Pontius Pilate and to ask for the body. It took some bravery to go and get the body of the one that had just been slaughtered um, by the Jews and, and demanded, executed by the Jews. He took courage. In verse 53, he took it down, a gruesome task, no doubt prying the nails out of the wrists and the hands and the feet, taking the body down, wrapped it in linen. Mark's gospel says it was fine linen. Uh, Matthew's gospel says it was clean linen and laid it in a tomb that was hewn out of the rock 
where no one had ever been laid. Today you can go to uh, Jerusalem and you can go to Golgotha. Looks like a, a skull to this day as it was called the place of the skull. Now there's a bus stop there. And, uh, but there's still a big cliff that looks like a skull where executions took place. It was believed Stephen, the first martyr of the church, was stoned there at Golgotha. And, uh, and then about a football throw away is uh, a, a garden which was believed to be owned by a rich man, has a 10,000-gallon water cistern, and there's a tomb there that was found to have a giant track out front where about a two-ton stone would be rolled in front of uh, the door to this tomb. The stone is nowhere to be found, but inside the tomb, you see a place where one was to be laid, hewn out of the stone, and then it appears that someone larger than the one it was prepared for was placed in there because at the edge of the platform where the body would be laid, about five inches of rock is carved out for a taller body to be put in there. And uh, it's believed by many that it's called Gordon's Tomb. It's one of two places in Jerusalem that's a popular thought that where Jesus was laid to rest on that day by Joseph of Arimathea. Outside the city gates, north of the city, a rich man's garden, a rich man's tomb, uh, about a 35-second walk from Golgotha. And uh, it was this tomb hewn out of stone. Um, This body laid there, and uh, no one had been laying there before. Verse 54, that day was the preparation, and the Sabbath drew near. And the woman who had come with him from Galilee followed after and they observe the tomb and how his body was to be laid. It's an important verse that's to be remembered. And you might mark that at the very end that they observed the tomb. Okay, so they knew where the tomb was and they knew how his body was laid. Okay, there was notes taken on this. All right, um, verse 56, and they returned and they prepared spices and fragrant oils And they rested on the Sabbath according to the commandments. Uh, John's gospel tells us that they brought a mixture of myrrhs and aloes, about a hundred pounds of spices. That's a lot of spices in case you are into spices, Uh, you know, and they would just cake this body with these spices to keep the aroma down so that the grieving process could last. People could go into the tomb and they could pray and they could consider uh, the loss of a loved one, 100 pounds of uh, myrrh and aloes there. And that's kind of where we left it on Good Friday, a somber uh, moment, um, a moment that appeared to be a defeat. Uh, Jesus, who was working all kinds of miracles and was such a personality to be followed, everyone assuming that he was going to be the deliverer from the Romans' hand of oppression. And, uh, and then he was nailed to a tree after being just beaten to a pulp and then pried off with a crowbar and wrapped up in some cloth and laid in a rock. Like that is not typically how most, uh, you know, stories of rescue go down, (laughs) you know, and uh, and it just appears, you know, Good Friday wasn't all that good, right? It was a, as uh, our children's Bible says, it was a long, sad day, that Good Friday, Until you get to Luke chapter 24, then you see why it's called Good Friday, because it leads to Good Sunday. 
It was on the first day of the week, very early in the morning. They and other certain women with them come to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared. You might note in your Bible today, it was the first day of the week that this took place. It was a Sunday. Do you ever wonder why after thousands of years of law following by the Jews of worshiping in concentrated form and rest on the Sabbath, a Saturday, all of a sudden, many Jews begin to worship God on Sunday? How does this happen? It happens because the Christian church knew that Jesus rose from the dead on Sunday. There was a shift in celebration and and there was a day of remembrance of our victory being won there in that empty tomb. And so it wasn't because we were worshiping, you know, the sun God and under Constantine, he's trying to shift things. It wasn't because Constantine was trying to make a good calendar work just right or anything like that. It was because Long before Constantine, the son of God who was laid in darkness, rose in light and victory, and eyewitnesses saw this. It's the greatest event the world has ever seen, and it is cause for great celebration, concentrated worship, concentrated giving, concentrated sacrament, and he is worthy to be worshipped on what is now called and was called in the church, early church day, you read a bit in the gospel of the book of revelation, it's known as the Lord's day. So happy Easter, everyone. And happy Lord's day, right? Praise Jesus. All right. So it was on the first day of the week, very early in the morning. Anybody wake up before sunrise today? Gospels tell us it was before sunrise that this happens, right? I was up before sunrise and Easter morning. I'm always up studying and I'm always like, this is what it was like. This is what it was, you know, and a lot of people are into sunrise services and we just have too many things keeping us up at night right now. Um, we're getting barely enough sleep as it is, but you know, when we get older and you know, we don't have, then, then we'll begin doing those great things that, you know, all of you are wanting so bad. When are we going to do that Easter sunrise service? Like when I start getting any sleep at all, that'd be great. Okay. No, I'm kidding. I'm totally, Lindsay's the one that doesn't get any sleep. I've been like, let's do an Easter sunrise service. I kill you. I kill you dead. Is, is what she says. <clears throat> you know, there's a song that we sing. Uh, it's new, King of Kings. We sang it last week. In the morning when you rose, all of heaven held its breath till that stone was moved for good, for the lamb had conquered death. And Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea, they were there laying them in the tomb, but it says that there were women with them. And here we see that verse 55, they were women from Galilee back in chapter 23, but those certain women who had been with Joseph and, and Nicodemus, they came to that tomb bringing more spices that they had prepared. And, uh, and that's a special thing. And that's an important thing to remember. Uh, my little girl Tatum and I had a sweet time and Titus was there too. We had a sweet time on Good Friday reading from the um, version Bible for kids. If you have kids, get that Bible app for your kids. A friend of mine's an author in it. And super fun and interactive, and you touch different parts of the Bible, and palm leaves are dropping coconuts, you know, and donkeys are biting at bad guys, and all, it's a super fun Bible. But we're reading and we're studying about the betrayal of Jesus and the crucifixion of Jesus and the Jews yelling out, crucify him, crucify him. Let his blood be on our head and our children's head. And Tatum, her greatest concern on all of Good Friday was, 
what were the women doing? <laughs> the women were there too? And were, were there women that wanted him dead? And betray women would never, you know. And uh, she was really concerned about the women. What's up with the women? And there were women that were also betraying. But remember reading on Good Friday in Luke's gospel how there were women on the Via Dolorosa when Jesus packed the cross that were weeping for Jesus, that were sad for Jesus. So just so you know, Tatum, there were women that were really sad that Jesus was crucified, okay? And Jesus, remember, he says, don't weep for me, weep for yourselves because the days are coming when you're gonna, women are gonna wish they never had babies and we're not nursing babies because great devastation is gonna come on Jerusalem. But here we see that there were also faithful women by Jesus's side there at the cross, there at the tomb, and here they come to be the first witnesses of Jesus' resurrection. You want to know something that validates the account of Jesus' resurrection, that he's not dead, but he's alive? This is one of many things, by the way. It's that the first witnesses were women. You see, in that culture, women were not valued, okay? Uh, Women were not, um, they were not allowed to testify in court. Uh, The Jewish rabbi's prayers in the morning were, I thank you, Lord, that I'm not a dog or a woman, Okay, and uh, this is not something that's biblical. That's not the heart that God wanted. This is something that comes when you get just really stuck up in tradition and your own self-righteousness. You start downgrading people, okay? And yet Jesus, wherever the gospel goes, he brings freedom to all races and genders, all right? Jesus loves women. Jesus values women, okay? They're made in the image of God. And, and so there's value, so much value that, you know what, the Lord's like, you know what I'm going to do when I tell my great story of rescuing humanity in the greatest event of the world's history that I rose from the dead, guess who's going to be there to be the first witnesses? It's going to be the gals, okay? And they're going to go and they're going to tell everyone, guess what we saw? And you don't know anything, you know? And, and they're going to be like, I told you so. When are you going to start valuing us, right? Okay. Can I get an amen? Or you guys are still like... You're like, he said gender. We're not allowed to say that anymore. There's men and there's women, okay? All right? God loves them both, all right? And, uh, but what did they find? All right? Uh, what did they find as they're there? They're in the cemetery. And by the way, man, I love cemeteries. They're interesting places. I love walking through our cemetery up here on the hill. I think I'm going to be buried there someday. I'm like, Juniper Haven, man. I think that's my haven. That's where I'll, right there, right? And, uh, and I love to walk through and I look at all the dates and I read the different, I mean, there's things like, this guy was a farrier in the U.S. Army in World War I. There's one up there. I'm like, that's incredible. That's not a ferry, okay, a ferry, horseshoer. Okay, anyways, just in case you're wondering. And I'm just, I walk around, okay? And, but you know what I love most about that? I love that the day will come when they will hear the voice of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. That's an exciting thing. Just like, boom, bust up out of the ground, ascend into the heaven. It's going to be awesome. I love doing funerals at cemeteries because right behind you, you've got all the illustration that you need. And I recently have done two funerals in the cemetery that my dad is buried in down in Klamath Falls. Uh, You know, that cemetery has gone bankrupt 
And for the last probably five years, no one's been taking care of the grass or the lawn or the gravestones. My dad is buried in a mausoleum. And I used to ride the bus by the cemetery as a kid. And it was so beautiful, rolling green hills, all the pretty stones, statues. The mausoleum was this beautiful marble you could go in. And it was just a gorgeous place. And now the window's broken. People are going in and breaking in and stealing their family's ashes and saying, forget you, cemetery, you know, do this to my, you know, it's sad statues are tipped over it's the best place in the world to do a funeral it's like the grass is dead there's weeds all over gravestones are tipped over and you're like now this is what sin and death is like but guess what guys it's not gonna stay like this we will be resurrected those who believe in jesus will be resurrected for everlasting life thanks to the first resurrection those who did not believe in jesus will be resurrected too did you know it but they will be resurrected to everlasting torment and judgment. And so I ask you today, where are you at? Where will you go? Believe in Jesus, be resurrected for everlasting life. And so these gals, they know they're in a cemetery. It's a little eerie. It's a little odd, but it's, you know, and it's a place of mourning. And as they get there, they find something interesting. The stone is rolled away from the tomb. Well, that's striking. But what's even more striking is verse three. Then they went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. That's even more striking. That'll trip you up. I'm gonna, you go to a cemetery before it's sunrise, which who would do that in the first place? Okay. And the stone, the, you know, the grave is open <gasps> and you go in the body's not there. <gasps> you know, um, this is how most horror movies start. Just so you know. Okay. And it happened as they were greatly perplexed about this, that behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. They stood there wondering. They stood there at a loss. You know, I, I like Brian Regan. He's an awesome comedian. And he talks about, you know, have you ever watched people in the airport and they're on one of those moving sidewalks and they're just like, you know, and then the sidewalk ends and it, you know, it kind of knocks them off and they're like, something changed some and he does the little like hair twirl you know i always love doing that little hair twirl same thing with the women coming to the tomb they're like something's different you know what is going what's going on is there's no body there because remember what we just read they observed where the tomb was and how the body was laid and instead of being like the resurrection they along with the men are like Oh, this is not good. Oh, oh no. People are, they're going to blame us for this. Let's get out of here. No, you know, they're like this, something changed, something's different. And we don't know what happened. Okay. Uh, and so as they were afraid and they, uh, I'm sorry, I think I jumped the gun. Okay. So it happened as they were greatly perplexed about this. They stood there wondering verse four says, behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. What kind of men do you think these were? They either had the newest, latest laundry detergent, right? That just really popped those whites, you know, or like the other gospels tell us they were, all right, they were angelic. Okay. And, and so as they, the women stood there afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, the angels said, why do you seek the dead? Or I'm sorry. Why do you seek the living among the dead? Think about that phrase. Why do you seek the living? 
in a place where there's a bunch of dead people. Those angels are trying to get those gals to kind of go back in their brain bank and remember that Jesus had told them multiple times, behold, we're going to Jerusalem and I will be betrayed and I will suffer and I will be beaten and I will be put to death. But don't worry, three days later I will rise from the dead. Multiple times in the gospels, Jesus told this. But the disciples never got it. They never remembered it. And that's why the angels are like, here's a little hint for you. Why do you seek the, wait for it, living among the dead? What are you getting at, angel guy? You know, come on, try to track with me. He's not dead. Just like he said, anybody, nobody, oh, these people, okay? Um, So they said, and here's just a classic phrase, he is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee saying, the son of man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise again? Ah! And they remembered his words. By the way, this is the gals, okay? This is the gals. The guys are going to have a harder time remembering. This is pretty classic though, isn't it? I mean, try being married to a certified public accountant. They know stuff, okay? Not so much here, okay? Johnny and Jess and I are always joking because Jess has a favorite phrase that is, Johnny... Mark my words, blue, 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 blue. And guess what Johnny doesn't do? Mark her words, okay? And it's just funny because it always comes up and comes. Remember when she said, oh, yeah, okay. So we got to mark the words, okay? So they remembered his words and those women have like that aha, oh yeah moment. And they returned from the tomb and told all these things to the 11 and the rest, Who were these gals, you ask? Well, it says in verse 10, it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. Um, So Mark 16, 9 tells us that it was Mary Magdalene that he showed up to. This is a gal that Jesus had cast six demons out of. So not only is the first account from a gal, but it's from a gal who was once severely demon-possessed. She's going to be one of the first witnesses of this. Interesting, maybe you don't recognize uh, the, the name Joanna, but Luke's Gospel, chapter 8, tells us that um, Joanna was the wife of a guy named Chusa, or Chuzza, who was Herod's steward, or one of Herod's servants. So kind of a prominent woman as well. You got a formerly demon-possessed woman, and then you've got one of Herod's top right-hand guys, wives okay and uh and so they go and they tell and imagine what this news breaking news moment was like the 11 john's gospel tells us that the 11 were hid up in a house with the windows closed for fear of the jews they were afraid that they were next to face the roman cross and so they're hiding they're scared Two days ago, they betrayed Jesus and ran away from him in the garden with their tails tucked between their legs. And ever since, they've been hiding in a room with the windows shut. 
thinking that the Jews were coming for them next. So imagine, knock, 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 knock. Oh no, it's the Jews. What? Yeah. Oh no, oh no, that sounds like Mary. That sounds like Joanne uh, or whatever her name was. You know, it sounds like, oh, oh no, okay, okay, let him in. And just imagine what these gals, you know, they're just like, okay, say it, let the words out. He's alive. There's no one in the tomb, you know? And, and some of the other accounts, they'd actually seen Jesus and talked to Jesus. And, and he's here. He's alive. And I mean, how would you receive that? Here's how they received it. Verse 11. And their words seemed to them like idle tales. And they did not believe them. Their words seemed to them like nonsense. The, the Greek means pure nonsense or silly talk. All right. So how do you receive pure nonsense or silly talk? What's your facial expression like? It's like this again, you know, it's like, you're not even looking at the person as they're talking, Ah! you know, pure nonsense, silly tells the rolling of the eyes, the sigh, the letting out of a sigh, tapping my foot impatiently. Just get the story over with us. All right. Idle tales. Let me ask you this today here in Prineville in 2021. When you've heard the story of Jesus, when you've heard about his miracles and his perfect life, when you've heard about his death and resurrection, has the story of Jesus seemed to you like idle tales? Has it always been to you something of a, oh, get on with it. There's other things I want to think about right now. There's other things I want to do. Pure nonsense, pure silly talk. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians that the message of the cross is foolishness. But it's foolishness to those who are perishing. And I want to beg of you today. If up until today, the message of Jesus has seemed like idle talk to you, I would submit to you that perhaps you are on the road to hell. You are on the road to perishing for all of eternity. But if today you would just, with just the slightest step of faith, say, that doesn't sound good. Lord, maybe I have been thinking of this as idle talk. Help my heart to receive it as something that is truth and worth believing. Just ask the Lord right now that. Just say, well, I don't want to be one who's perishing. Maybe this is something to be considering, this risen Lord. Ask that to the Lord right now. And he will begin to move in your heart and soften your heart and open your mind so that you can know Jesus and love the story of the resurrection. But to the disciples at that moment, it was just a bunch of hogwash, okay? Verse 12 We have a little bit of exercise of faith here in Peter. Peter arose and ran to the tomb and stooping down, he saw the linen clothes lying by themselves and he departed marveling to himself at what had happened. Let's look at John's gospel real quick because it is very entertaining. Okay. Peter therefore went out, this is uh, John chapter 20, verse 3. I think we've got it in the notes there. I've been totally skipping all the notes. So whoever's on projectors like, when are you going to get to what I get to do? 
right now. John chapter 20. All right, good job. Praise the Lord. All right, so Peter therefore went out and the other disciple, this is John, by the way. John's the other disciple. And they were going to the tomb. So they both ran together. We got to get over there. Okay. And the other disciple outran Peter. You know, and John outruns Peter. I mean, Peter's kind of known to be kind of like a big, like, you know, and he's just foot in the mouth, Peter. He's always saying stuff that's just getting him in trouble and stuff. But he's like, let's go check this out. Come on, John. You know, and John's just like, you know, go speed racer. John gets to the tomb first. And, uh, and he stooping down and looking in, saw the linen clothes lying there, yet he did not go in. This is a verse that always comes to mind when you go to that Gordon's tomb, because you go and there's the track that the big stone would roll across the door and you have to kind of stoop to look into the tomb. It's really an um, exciting moment. And so you picture John setting his hand there and seeing the linen cloths lying there. And then he hears some huffing and puffing coming from behind him. Wait wait for me, you know? And uh, as Peter gets there, it says that uh, Simon Peter, verse six, came following him and went in the tomb and he saw the linen clothes lying there. And the handkerchief that had been around his head, not lying with the other linen clothes, but folded together and placed. I mean, Jesus was very orderly in how he did stuff. When you wake up in the morning, first thing you got to do is make your bed. Okay, You don't just leave your hanky laying there like a slob, right? You got to fold it up, put it at the head of the bed. My mama Mary taught me that. Okay. And it was folded together and it was a place by itself. Then the other disciple who came to the tomb first went in also and saw and believed. Something about the resurrection, you guys. Something about the resurrection that is set apart from any other act or event in human history. I mean, think about it. We don't know many folks who have just risen from the dead after they've been buried, just like, hey, grandma, you know, rest in peace, get the tombstone there real nice, and then, you know, there's not many. I did hear something the other day of a guy that was uh, buried and then, but he actually wasn't dead, and they're like, Hey, what is going on? You know, and, uh, and so you really got to check the pulse before you lay him down in there. But, uh, you know, Jesus was dead and rose from the dead. And for us, this is something that ought to strike in us an extra measure of faith. And just like it did for Peter and John, when they saw it, they believed. Verse 13. Now behold, two of them, two of the disciples were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together of all the things that had happened. So it was while they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were restrained, so they, they did not know him. So some of, some of the 11, the 11, they're there and they are boarded up in a house, hoping to not be arrested and crucified. Other guys that had been following Jesus, they're like, we got to get out of Jerusalem. And so this just gives us a little bit of insight as to what's going on on an Easter afternoon in Judea. Okay. The first Easter afternoon, 
Some of the people that had been following Jesus are now about seven miles away getting out of Dodge, okay? And here, an incredible story. Jesus shows up and is just cruising with them. But their eyes are kind of blocked. They're constrained so that they don't see that it's Jesus, okay? Verse 17, and he said to them, hey, what you guys talking about? (laughs) What kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? I don't know if you've ever witnessed conversations among strangers and you're kind of like, oh, that's not going good. Uh, We were at the Great Wolf Lodge over Christmas time and we're in a water park and I noticed outside the wave pool was a couple who were not having a great conversation with one another. It was not going well, especially for the homeboy. I mean, you're like, "Mm," I'm like, should I go pray for them or should I, you know, I was like, this is supposed to be the Great Wolf Lodge. You were supposed to be happy in the wave pool. You guys are about to kill each other. And uh, he'd, the guy would look at me, and I'm like, oh, not good, huh? I'm like, he's like, yeah, not good. I'm like, um, but, you know, you, oh, oh, man, they're sad, or they're grieving, or, you know, oh, something, something's not up with you. And Jesus, you know, he's like, I can tell these guys are having a conversation, and it's a sad one. Uh, the, the actual Greek translation says, that they actually were at a point in their walk where they had stood still in their walk and were sad. So they were just friends of Jesus who were super sad and couldn't walk and they just had to stop and just and just be sad for a minute. And when the, verse 18, and the one whose name was Cleopas answered, um, by the way, if you're like, who's Cleopas? Uh, we know another place in the scripture, there's a guy named Clopas, who's Jesus's uncle. So he may be actually a relative uh, to Jesus if if it's the same Clopas or Cleopas. Um, So, but Cleopas answers and said, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known the things which, which have happened here in these days? It's similar to, have you been living under a rock? You know, similar to like, are you new in town? You know, like you don't, which is interesting. It tells us that the whole town was affected by what had happened on that Good Friday. The whole town knew what was going on. Um, at the very least, that, that the one that a week ago had come in on a donkey and the palm branches were being waved and everyone was shouting out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Within a week's time, he was dead and buried in a tomb. So it had really affected the, the city of the day. And uh, so, you know, what are you living under a rock? Don't you know the things that have happened? And Jesus just totally playing the part. Verse 19 says to them, what things? You know, Can you give me a little information? I want to know what you know. Okay. And uh, what things? So they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth who was a prophet. Now, at this point in these guys' minds, Jesus, if he ever was the son of God to them, like Peter had declared, now he's been dropped down a couple notches to just a prophet. He was a prophet, okay? Mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. And the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. 
Indeed, besides all this, today's the third day since these things happened. So not only had they kind of de-escalated their value or devalued their understanding of Jesus. I mean, they'd been calling him God, the son of God, the son of man. And now he's dead and buried and beginning, it seems to maybe decompose. So now he's a prophet. Okay. And uh, a man, just a mere man who's dead. And notice here in verse 21, and this is important because at this point, it's all past tense. Now we were hoping that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. You see, for a first century Jew, if the Messiah that they were hoping would rescue them had been crucified, then he's no longer the Messiah. They don't have in their mind that he's still the Messiah and he's still going to rescue. No, operation failed. He's dead. There's no hope. And there's no rescue for us, okay? So you've got to ask yourself the question, well, then how did the early church take off with such a force that even in the wave of persecution and martyrdom and people hunting down Christians to kill them, how did it go from this, we were hoping he was the guy, but now he's dead, to this, Prineville, Oregon, 2,000 years later, celebrating that Jesus is alive. It's because he's really alive. And it's because that they had really seen the risen Jesus. They had really seen the empty tomb and the claws lying by themselves and the handkerchief folded up. And they really would have another 40 days with Jesus where he would show himself alive, Act chapter 1 tells us. Show himself alive with many infallible proofs he would show that he is not dead, but he's alive. At this place in the story, they think he's dead, mission failure, no one to really look up to that much anymore. And then they say, and besides, you got to understand, stranger on the road, that it's only been three days, so things are still a little raw. You probably understand why we're stopped on the side of the road. We can't really walk much farther. We're sad and we're hurting. It's only been three days. Verse 22. Yes. And certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us. They caused us to be amazed with some story of some empty tomb and some resurrection. We just really don't know what to make of it, but we were astonished. Uh, The Greek means that we were driven insane by this news. And verse 23, when they did not find his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. I mean, it seems with news like this, they're telling the story And these women, they went and they saw the empty tomb and then they saw Jesus and then a couple more guys went and there's definitely an empty tomb and this and that. And, but we decided to leave town. (laughs) We decided to kick it seven miles uh, to the west of Jerusalem. In verse 25, Jesus speaks up. He said to them, oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe in all the prophets have spoken. 
Has anyone here ever, you've been telling a story and you're trying to work things out and as you're verbalizing it, it kicks into your brain like, oh, I was missing it all along, but verbalizing, it's really helping now. These guys are like, yeah, and then they went to the tomb and they didn't see anything, but then they saw angels and some other guys saw it and we decided to leave town and what are we doing out of Jerusalem? We got to get back there right now. No, they were not. That's not the conclusion they were coming to. And so Jesus is like, you guys remember uh, Sister Act with Whoopi Goldberg? And there was a nun, I think she played the piano, and her name was like Alma or something, and Whoopi would be like, Alma, check your battery! You know? I always love that. And, and so, you know, Jesus is like, hey, Clopas, turn the volume up, buddy, like you're missing it. You guys are acting very un, <laughs> um, unintelligent right now. You're being a fool. But even beyond what's going on in your mind, the Greek word actually for foolish. Oh, foolish ones, it's, it's translated mental. Oh, mental ones and slow to understand. And, but you know what the bigger issue is? It's about 18 inches lower, however far this is. Slow of heart. Slow of heart. And so for you today, if the message of the cross of Jesus and the story of Jesus is an idle tale to you, May I suggest that it's not so much a problem of what's going on up here as to what's going on down here. Yes, you're being foolish by not believing in Jesus. But what the bigger issue is, is that you are hard of heart. You're hard hearted towards God. And there's only one thing that can soften your heart today. And it's not, come on, heart, you gotta soften. It's. Lord, soften my heart, soften my heart and make me not slow to believe today, this Easter Sunday. Help me quick to believe, to believe that you're resurrected. Jesus says, you guys are slow of heart to believe all that the prophets had spoken. You guys, this book that you're, maybe I hope you have your Bible here today, pretty thick, maybe one of the bigger books on your bookshelves, right? This book is not a ton of different stories that don't even fit together. It's all one story about Jesus, okay? There's what's called a meta-narrative, and it's this thread that is woven through all of the Bible that is all pointing to Jesus, our champion, our hero, our rescuer, and how he's come to deliver us from our fallen condition. He's come to save us and heal us and bring those sweet streams of refreshing straight from his throne into our heart and life everlasting. And so when Jesus says, all the prophets have spoken of me, you guys, all of the prophets, Moses, Elijah, David, Solomon, all of the guys that wrote, they were all writing about a hero and a champion who was going to come and save them. And it's Jesus. These guys were slow to believe it. Look at verse 27. This is awesome. And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. Guys, this is the best Bible study you'd ever be to. You've got Jesus and he's like, hey, Clopas and his buddy, crack it open to the book of Genesis. All right, you done there? Okay, let's go to Exodus. Check this out. Leviticus, you think it's boring? <laughs> no way. You know, uh, he's going to show that all these things point to him. 
A man named Peter Stoner was a mathematician at Westmont College, and he did the study that if you were to take all of the prophecies of the prophets that Jesus fulfills, it would be like covering the state of Texas in silver dollars a whole foot deep, okay? And then you take one of those silver dollars, paint it red, and just chuck it into the state of Texas, jump out of an airplane, parachute, and land and grab the first coin you grab would be the one uh, with, uh, with the red on it. Okay. That's the mathematical probability of one man fulfilling all of the prophecies. And guess what? Jesus fulfilled every single one of them. Okay. So Jesus is just opening up to these guys. He's like, don't you guys understand? This is how it's supposed to happen going on. It says that he expounded to them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. In verse 28, they drew near to the village where they were going, and he indicated that he would have gone farther. I don't know where he was going to go. Guys, I'm going to keep on going. Like, where are you going to go? But they were able to, which is the culture of the day, they were able to constrain him and say, abide with us, for it's toward evening and the day is far spent. And so he went in to stay with them. It's like, you know, Hey, let's have a sleepover tonight. Nah, I gotta go. Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. Okay. You know, and so he stays with them and it only gets better as he's there staying with them. Verse 31 says, their eyes were opened and they knew him and he vanished from their sight. They didn't know yet that it was Jesus. They invite this stranger in who's got some amazing things. He's opening up the prophets to them. He's pointing to that there was a Messiah that had to suffer and die. They still don't know it's him until they invite him in and their eyes are open. Could I suggest to you today that today would be a day that you could invite Jesus into your life? You don't know him. You don't understand him. There are so many questions that you've got, but if you would humble yourself and say, Jesus, if you would come in and change my heart and open my eyes, I would love that. I believe that Jesus is faithful to do just that. Invite him in today and let him open up your eyes to see him as he is the Lord of glory. Verse 38, their eyes were open or 31. I'm sorry. Their eyes were open and they knew him and he vanished from their sight. Just when things were getting good. Oh, it's Jesus. What? You know what they did? They said, we got to get back to Jerusalem. (laughs) But before that, verse 32, they said to one another, did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us? Their heart was ignited and set on fire at hearing the story of Jesus. A modern day translation of the Bible by J.B. Phillips says this, weren't our hearts glowing while he was with us on the road and when he made the scriptures so plain to us? I hope that's you today. I hope today as you hear the message of Jesus and the hope of Jesus and that he loved you so much that he died for you and that he's powerful so much that he rose himself from the dead. I hope that this isn't idle talk to you but I hope your heart is glowing. I hope you want to know more. I hope you want to pursue Jesus. 
It says in verse 33, they rose up that very hour. They got out right away and they returned to Jerusalem and they found the 11 and those who were with them gathered together. And what were they talking about in that room? They had all figured it out. Verse 34, the Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Simon seen him. Oh my gosh, out of all the 11, Simon saw him. This is exciting stuff. Verse 35, and they told about the things that had happened on the road and how he was known to them by the breaking of bread. So now we have a story too. We were walking, we were out of Dodge. We were running as far away. We were going to Emmaus seven miles away. And just some stranger started talking to us and he started telling us that it had to happen that Jesus would suffer and die. And then he opened up our eyes that we saw that it was him, but then he was gone. They told about the things that had happened. Verse 36 Now, as they said these things, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said to them, peace, (laughs) peace to you. But they were terrified and frightened and supposed they'd seen a spirit. This is a lot to take in. Like we've had a long weekend, all right? He shows up and they're not just, whoa, we've heard about it. Peter saw you, the two on the road to Emmaus. Woo! Good form just showing up in the middle of us like that, you know? No, they're like, ha, heart attack. Perhaps it's a ghost. Perhaps it's some sort of spirit or uh, angel or demon or something like that. It still scares them. You know, they're always scared of the ghosts and whatnots. And he says to them, hey, 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 why are you troubled? And why do doubts keep popping up in your heart? Even now today, as you are hearing this in Prineville here, yes, I want, yes, I don't want this to be idle talk. Yes, I know. I don't want it to be just some mental like trying to reason through. I know my heart is hard. I need God to soften my heart. And it's like, you know, the Holy Spirit is speaking into you to let God change your heart. And then over on this side, it's like a whole bunch of doubts are being spoken into your ear. And Jesus knew that that was happening even to the disciples. Guys had seen Jesus risen from the dead. There's an empty tomb. The stone has been rolled away. People are beginning to see him risen from the dead. And yet doubts are still creeping into their heart. Why do doubts uh, rise in your heart? It's really me. Verse 39, behold my hands and my feet. See how there's pierced holes in them? That it is I myself. Handle me. Come over here. Touch my hand. See? That's where the nail went. Handle me. Touch and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. It gives us a little bit of understanding as to the nature of Jesus's resurrection, that Jesus rose from the dead, not as some spirit form, but his body actually rose from the dead. And when he said this, he showed him his hands and his feet. Verse 41, but while they still did not believe for joy and marveled, he said to them, have you have any food here? Got to love how this is all written, right? But notice verse 41, now they don't believe But now it's a different type of unbelief. It's more like, this is just too good to be true. They still don't believe because of joy and amazement. And so Jesus is like, I know, isn't it cool? He's like, you just touched my hands. You just touched my feet. I'm here talking to you. And okay, guys, okay, okay, watch this. Do you have any food here? He's going to show that it's really him. It's beginning to be more of like an exciting revelation, okay? So... They gave him a piece of broiled fish and some honeycomb, perfect snack, any, any time of the day, a little, little fish, a little honeycomb, right? And he took it and he ate it in their presence. 
And this is something that later on the apostles would use as they would preach the resurrection of Jesus. As they would preach, they would talk about how we saw him alive. We touched his hands and his feet. And guys, we watched him eat in our presence. This is all tangible stuff to show something really happened in our midst. Okay. And you can read more about some awesome times eating with the resurrected Jesus in John chapter 21, verse 44. Then Jesus said to them, these are the words, which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And he opened their understanding, verse 45, that they might comprehend the scriptures. This is one of my favorite verses in Luke chapter 24, because maybe like you, there was a time in my life where I would go to the Bible and it would just be like, oh, this is such a thick book. And, oh, these words are hard to understand. And But, you know, more than even just kind of like the cognitive understanding of the Bible, that's like, why is the word thy and thee in here so much? That's beyond my understanding, right? It's more the message of the book that we need to understand. And maybe you're here today and you, you don't even know where your Bible is. Charles Spurgeon said, I fear that there is enough dust on our Bible to be able to spell the letters H E L L. You just don't read your Bible. You don't think it's relevant. You don't think it's important. It's too hard to read. And so it sits there on the shelf or under your bed or wherever. And I would tell you, That if you would allow the Lord to change your heart today, to come into your life and to enlighten you and give you revelation of himself, he will help you to understand the Bible. Can anyone say amen to that in here? Anyone here? You're just like me. Yeah. The Lord opens your eyes so that you can comprehend the Bible. He did it to them. We're almost done. You guys, verse 46. Then he said to them, thus it is, was written. And thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. He kind of gives them that Bible study, all 11 of them. Let's go through guys. I'll show you. See how it's all written. Everything speaks of me coming and laying down my life, but not staying dead, but rising from the dead. Well, why, why would that be the message we need to hear? Look at verse 47. So that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name. Why is it important to know that Jesus came to suffer and die for us and to rise from the dead? So that everyone who hears that message would number one, repent. You know what repent means? Definitely something that those hellfire and brimstone preachers use, right? Repent, repent. The guy standing outside of the, you know, the, the Rose Quarter up in Portland with the giant megaphone and he's just yelling at people as they're going into Blazers games and into the, I guess it's Moda Center now, you know, and they just yell and they preach, sometimes not with the best tact, I'll admit, but a word that they say is repent, repent, repent. Don't be mad at them. It's the word that the Bible uses. And it's a word that means to change direction from where you're going. You're going this direction with your life. And Jesus would tell you today, hey guys, it's time to go this direction. You've been doing these sins and saying that it's okay and you're lying to yourself and there's a wake of 
destruction from all that you've done in disobedience to Jesus, hey, it's all right. Today's a day that you can turn from your sins and begin to walk in newness of life. And so because of the cross and because of the empty tomb, we can tell people it's time to repent. But not only that it's time to repent, that, that there's remission of sins or forgiveness of sins. The New Testament tells us that our sins can be blotted out. They can be just wiped out. Think of a dry erase board that has all your sins that you've ever done written down on it. And you're going to have to stand before the God of the universe one day and give an account in a legal court of law of all the sins you've ever done against God. And if you would come to Jesus today, he would wipe that record of your sins out. And the book of Colossians says that it will be nailed to the cross of Calvary with Jesus. You will have your sins forgiven. Does that sound good today? Everything that we've ever done that we know has been in rebellion to God could be remembered no more because of what Jesus has done. So not only is there a turning away from sin for you today because of what Jesus has done. And not only is there forgiveness of sins for you today because of what Jesus has done, but now there's a mission of God for you today because of what Jesus has done. And that is that this same message of repentance and remission of sin, now we go from this church out and we begin to preach it to all the nations of the world and all the people of the world so that they can know the life that's found in Jesus Christ. Because verse 48, it's our last verse, and we'll have the worship team come up. Verse 48 says, and you are witnesses of these things. The 11 disciples, the 11 disciples, the women who found the empty tomb, the two on the road to Emmaus, these guys that were in this room with Jesus at this moment are told, you are witnesses of these things. You've seen me, your hands have handled me. You've touched my hands and my side. You've watched me eat the honeycomb and the fish. And now you are witnesses to go tell everyone. And you know where they went from this place? They would go and begin telling the entire world that Jesus died and rose again, that we might have life. And we are witnesses of these things. In my notes, I underline the word you in verse 48. You, Rory, are witnesses of these things. And you, Calvary Chapel Prineville, are witnesses of these things. And now it's time to act on that. God in his grace has gone from our head to our heart, moving in our reasoning and our intellect to believe even with our mind the things that are spoken in the Bible and to more importantly, believe in our heart the things that are told us in the Bible. And now to go from our head to our hearts out to the world and living a life for Jesus Christ. If you want to go ahead and set your Bibles aside and set your things aside. One of the first sermons that was preached after Jesus rose from the dead was by Peter on the day of Pentecost. And he preached a message very similar to what I just preached. But it was to the very people that crucified Jesus. And it says, as they listened to Peter preach, it says they were cut to the heart. And they said, we killed God. Whatever should we do? And Peter said to them, Repent 
Repent. Repent and be forgiven of your sins. And he says, repent and be baptized. You know, baptism is what we call a sacrament, but it's something that we do that shows the world the reality of what Jesus has done in us. Communion that we took today is a sacrament. It's something that when we take it, we're telling a story of what Jesus has done for us. We take the bread and we realize that Jesus's body, his flesh, his skin was bruised and beaten and crushed. And we eat that and we say it is being, it was crushed 2000 years ago for my sin. Thank you, Jesus, for being crushed for my sin. When we take the cup, we take something that resembles blood and we drink it. And we say, Jesus's blood was poured out to seal the deal between God and me that I would be forgiven. Something very tangible that we touch and we look at and we taste and we swallow. And we make a statement of faith that we believe what Jesus has done. And today on this special Easter Sunday, we're going to move towards another sacrament. We're going to move towards another picture of a work that Jesus has done in our heart. It's baptism. And just before uh, church today, I was just looking at Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6 verse 3 says, Do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? You know, something that happens in baptism is we are telling all of our friends and family, people watching on live stream, we're telling everybody that we believe in Jesus and we receive what his death on the cross accomplished for us. And so we come to the waters of baptism and we die and we're buried. And just as Jesus was Buried in that tomb 2,000 years ago, we say, Jesus, you were buried for me. And so I bury myself with you. I'm all in. And so just as Jesus was buried, we're buried. That would be a sad story if that's where it ended, right? And then everyone died, you know. No, Jesus rose from the dead. And the book of Romans says, just as we were buried with him through baptism into death, just as Christ rose from the dead by the glory of the Father, even we should walk in newness of life. And so just as Jesus on that first Easter Sunday rose from the dead in glory and in power and in victory, so do we come up out of the waters of baptism, a new life, a new man, a new woman, a changed life. And we're telling the world through this it's not the old Rory anymore. It's not the old Kim anymore. It's not the old Michael anymore. It's not the old Galen anymore. It's not the old Cassie anymore. There's a new Rory. Jesus paid for my pardon and my sins are forgiven. And the same spirit, the New Testament says, the same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead lives in me. I'm a new man. 
In the words of Brooks and Dunn, I'm a brand new man. You got to love it. Country music guys, they're always thinking theology, I'm telling you. You'd be a brand new man today. And many of us in this church, you know what? We've lived some pretty sinful lives. I work among ranchers and I'm always inviting cowboys to church and they're like, that building would fall down on me if I went in there. And I say, then please don't come. We don't want everyone to die. No, I don't say that. (laughs) I say, man, if you knew the sins of the men and women that are in that church, you'd probably feel pretty clean. (laughs) But you know what? All of those sins of every man and woman have been washed clean. And they are new men and they are new women. Is there any man or woman in this place that can say, that's me, amen? We are new men and we are new women. He has washed our slate clean. But by coming to the waters of baptism today, you're declaring to your community, there's a new man here or there's a new woman here. And this new man and woman is not living for self anymore, not living for sin anymore, but we are living for the glory of God. So use me God. Back in the 1990s during the Gulf War, a chaplain had a whole bunch of soldiers come to Jesus in the army. And so he said, uh, okay, we got, let's baptize you guys. You believe in Jesus, but there was no water. They're out in the desert. So he took a casket for dead soldiers and he water lined it. You know, he made it waterproof and he filled it up with water And all of these soldiers who'd come to Jesus, just about to go into battle, were baptized in a casket. And it's a perfect picture of what baptism is. Because we're saying, you know what? I have been crucified with Jesus Christ. Galatians chapter 1. Nevertheless, I live. I'm buried with Christ in baptism today. But just as Jesus rose from the dead, I'm a brand new man. And so we have some people that knew the baptism was coming up today, this Easter Sunday, and you're ready to be baptized. During these songs, I'm going to invite you to come up and we're going to baptize you. But maybe you weren't even planning on it. Today you came to church and you're in your Easter best. I mean, you got the flower in your hair, extra layer of mascara. You're looking good. That's all right. It's a beautiful thing when people, even in their Sunday best, say, I am being called to follow Jesus today. Today's the day. Let's do this. Part of my testimony is I was baptized as an eight-year-old before I knew the gospel, before I understood the gospel. And as I became a pastor in my 20s, the Lord was like, you know what? Since you've believed the gospel, it's time to get baptized. And I was like, but I'm a pastor and everyone will see me and it'll be so awkward. One day, my pastor gave a call for baptism out in a beautiful outdoor setting. And I knew the Lord was calling me to come get baptized. I had been a pastor for about eight years. And I took my shoes off and I start going to the waters. And the devil said, everyone's going to think that you're a fraud because you're waiting to be baptized till now. And I literally turned around and went back to my seat and put my shoes back on. Until about five years later when I was in Israel at the Jordan River and I knew I need to be obedient to the call to baptism as someone who's believed in Jesus. So I went down to the waters of baptism. I want to tell you, don't wait. 
In the book of Acts chapter 8, it says, here is water, what hinders you from being baptized? Might be your first step of obedience as a Christian. So come on up. Uh, those of you that you had this scheduled, you've got, uh, you're just ready. You got your little nose plugs so you don't get water up your nose. You know, you got your shower cap, everything's ready to go. Uh, you can come on up during this song and I'll pray with you and I'll, uh, we'll baptize you. And, uh, and anyone else who's just, man, you know God's calling you towards obedience and baptism. Just come up and uh, you can make a line or whatever and we'll, we'll baptize you. So.